And so, yeah, I went to an AA meeting finally. And that was kind of like when things finally started to change is when I started to get real help. And I think getting help and really reaching out for help was what was the game changer for me. Wait, what do you mean it's over? Hello, how can I help? Hey guys, welcome back to Parties Over Podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Ashley. We have a great guest on the podcast today. Her name is Laura, your sober pal on Instagram and TikTok. And we're so excited to have you on the podcast. So welcome, Laura. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I feel like I'm kind of starstruck right now because I watch so many of her TikToks. And honestly, there's some people that just really get TikTok. You're one of those people. Like you really, I don't know the humor. I feel like you really get it and you do a great job. Oh, that means a lot. I appreciate it. So when did your, uh, tick, when did you kind of find TikTok? So, oh man, um, I actually discovered TikTok late last year and I thought it was just such an amazing platform for creators who were funny. And I just love the short form style of video making. I've always been really into video. And so I was, it, I was kind of like a lurker on TikTok and it wasn't until this year in the summer that I decided to do like a sobriety themed um, TikTok. And mainly because as you know, my TikTok is very themed around sobriety. And when I was in early sobriety, especially, I really relied a lot on humor to help me get me through the struggle. And I wanted to be able to pass that forward. And I thought TikTok was just an amazing tool to do that. I think it makes it interesting for people who may not be sober also, or just more interested in it. You're making kind of light and fun of it and it gets people to watch and it gets them kind of thinking about these really important topics. Yeah, I, I really like that because the thing with TikTok that's different from other social media platforms is that it reaches a wider, more varied audience. And so, you know, for instance, on Instagram, I have a big following of people who are sober, but on TikTok, I've noticed that I get a lot of DMs from people who are like, oh, I feel like you helped me understand my friend more who's struggling with their drinking, or I feel like I understand my parents better. And so it's really reaching a more diverse set of people and helping them better understand, which I think is really awesome. Yeah, I feel like I could totally, I've heard a lot of people say, just when you touched on like the parent piece, a lot of people say the older you get, the more you understand like your parents' struggles and you like see your parents as people, which is just like so crazy. And I feel like it's interesting that seeing other people's perspectives in general on life, I think really helps with that. So I totally agree. Okay. A little bit. So you started TikTok in the summer, right? Is that what you said? So That's you when I started really creating, I guess I could say. I was yeah. working in the shadows before then. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a following pretty quickly after that. Kind of. So I was making these like subpar videos. I was trying to get my, like, figure it out, I guess you could say. And then one Sunday I had this idea of basically like telling my whole story about how I became like a problem drinker, I guess you could say, or how I became an alcoholic. I wanted to tell like the whole story in a 60 second TikTok. And so I, I, like when I got the idea, I was like, oh my God, I just, I have to do this. It was just like this burst. And so I had all these costume changes and background changes. And that TikTok, when I made it, it just like took off. And I got like over a million views really quickly. 
And again, like all these people reached out and they were like, wow, your story really resonated with me. And that was kind of when my TikTok, I guess, presence started to take off. And I realized that I really was helping people with these like silly little videos, but it was, it was around then that I really started to invest more time. And after that, I was like, I'm going to make a TikTok every day until the new year, until 2021, which wow, kind of an undertaking, actually. You'd be surprised. Say, that's a lot of work. It's like a shocking amount of energy and especially creative energy to make a 16 second video every day. <laughs> and you have <laughs> to look good really for just 16 seconds of video. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys can relate because you're putting out a podcast so regularly. It's, I have a whole new appreciation for like podcasters and YouTubers because it is work. no joke. I don't know how people do it. So when you say that, it kind of brings me to like you knowing TikTok, being creative. Were you a communications major in college? Yeah, actually, I was a marketing major in college. Um, when I first went into college, I went in, so random, but I went in pre-dental to become an orthodontist literally like had no clue what I wanted to pursue I just kind of pursued what my parents suggested and realized quickly when I flunked out of chem even after studying the hardest a person could possibly study that it really wasn't the direction for me so yeah so I ended up in marketing um the interesting thing is when I graduated I did not work in marketing for years it wasn't until my late late 20s that I found myself back in marketing and now I'm it's so awesome I'm so happy in what I'm doing you can definitely see that background on your TikTok as well so it like came around oh I like that okay so when you were in college what was your college experience like what was your experience post-grad how was that for you I just we always ask this because we know some people's college experience college was very strictly school work and home it wasn't that social or there were you know people people didn't really care for it so how was your experience so my experience was kind of like I was living two lives you know I was in the honors program and you know I went to Arizona State University first of all so a lot of people I don't know what its reputation is now but back in my day it was a big party school like the girls gone wild bus was there like every weekend like <laughs> it was that kind of scene like uh, like frat parties like you wouldn't believe and like so I you know in, in high school I was kind of shy and insecure and so in college it was like my chance to reinvent myself and I really wanted to like be cool really and so but I also wanted to be smart. And so I would study really hard and I got really good grades um, through college, but every weekend I would go out and party really hard and, you know, drink, I just bottles of Jägermeister. I would like decorate like the top of my cabinets with bottles of booze, which I mean, that's kind of cliche college. <laughs> like I was right there, like on the windowsill. So people walking past the door, I'm like, oh gosh. Isn't like, it so, we did the same thing. And like, that whoever was, started that, why, why did that who start? Who started that? I need to know. Like <laughs> now I'd be, I've, now I'm like, I like hide it. I'm like, oh my God, like what? You can't, I would never like display it. My grandparents came to our apartment. Oh. <laughs> Right, I it like boggles my mind, like how much how much of like a token of pride that was back then. And yeah, it's it's hilarious. And I mean, I see it even now. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember those days when I like drive past our university dorms and I'll see like the little row of bottles. I'm like, oh yeah, good times, good times. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so 
so yeah, college was, it was a great experience. You know, it was very marked by, I didn't really know what I wanted to pursue. I didn't really know what I was good at. You know, I, so I felt very disconnected from myself in that sense. I wasn't real. I didn't really have any clarity about what I wanted to pursue professionally. And so that's kind of why I bounced around my freshman, sophomore year from pre-dental, like chem, like focus. And then I was kind of in the middle floating and then I ended up in business. Um, but, but yeah. And, and then with the partying, I think that helped me kind of numb the fact that I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So it was kind of like, I'll think about that later. Like I'll just get through the classes now and I'll just drink and figure it out later. And so, so yeah, it was, it was a positive experience, but it was kind of a, like a wandering time for me, I guess you could say. Did you find that all your friends were kind of doing the same thing? Like they were all partying and that's kind of why you hung out with them. And then even after they were still drinking and those were kind of like your drinking friends or did you have like some other friends too? Yeah. You know, pretty much all my friends partied like I did, even my roommates, like all of my roommates would go out on the weekends. Even when I was in the honors dorms, like it was like kind of like a badge of honor to be able to party really hard and also like get really good grades too. Um, I don't know if that was just something that was, you know, had to do with the Arizona state university culture or what. Um, but, but yeah, like, and, and you mentioned this in one of your podcasts, how like proximity kind of is like what determines who your friends are. And that kind of was the situation with me. So I ended up becoming best friends with my roommates who happened to party really hard and that kind of thing. So I think that's just how I kind of ended up in that like culture, I guess. So did that trickle on post-grad? How are your feelings? I know you're talking about being lost in college. Did that, I think a lot of people can relate that that doesn't really end after you graduate. So how was your post-grad experience um, career-wise, friendship-wise, alcohol-related-wise? Yeah, so when I graduated, I... So I had a couple internships. I was like worked for a marketing research firm. I worked for like a web website development agency and they were not very positive experiences. Like basically what they were looking for were free salespeople. And so I was like cold calling at my internship and stuff like that. And I didn't really have any professional mentors who inspired me. And so when I graduated, I really didn't know what area of marketing I wanted to pursue or even what was really out there. And so I ended up working at a restaurant while trying to find a marketing job and then, you know, still drinking a lot, like partying because I'm still like living in the college town. And about a year after I graduated, I was like, I'm just going to move to Lake Tahoe and figure out, like, maybe just have some fun for two years and then go back to graduate school because, you know, they say like take some time off before going back to graduate school, but you're supposed to like get a job and get real world experience and go back to graduate school. But I was like, I'm just going to snowboard for two years and go back to graduate school. <laughs> and I never went back to graduate school. I ended up staying in Lake Tahoe and that's where my drinking, you know, really started to take off because it was like college, but without the studying part. Um, and probably some money. Like yeah. you're working <laughs> in college. We were all like poor Totally. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it's like in like fast money, cause I was still working in restaurants, but like the money was so insane, like working in a ski town back then, like you're making like $600 a night and stuff. Like it was crazy. And so you're young, you're making like fast money. The last thing you're thinking about is like how to 
progress professionally, although it was in the back of my mind. Um, but again, that's the thing with like when you're drinking and you're kind of in that culture, you kind of get stuck. And that was kind of what happened with me. I just kind of got stuck in that pattern, that lifestyle for years before I realized one day that I was, you know, stuck and I wanted something more and that my drinking just wasn't healthy. So what were your, like, I I think a lot of this, you're saying lifestyle and stuff. What was a typical like day in the life for you? Um, so like when I was living in Tahoe in my mid twenties, it would be like, go snowboarding all day, go work at the restaurant at night and then go drink and hang out my roommates at night on repeat. And that was like the majority of my twenties. So I, you know, and it was so funny, like we all, everybody I lived with, like had gone to college, but we all kind of didn't know what we wanted to do. We like, some people wanted to be in marketing, some people want, but we didn't know how to pursue anything. And the thing is, is like when you live, it's ski towns are known for being really hard to find opportunities. It's, they call it poverty with a view. You know, we would like look for jobs, but like there's just no opportunities. And but you don't want to give up all like the lifestyle. There's like hiking and they're outdoors and snowboarding. And so it just it was really hard to move forward. So that was essentially a typical day for me, sadly, for the vast majority of my 20s. I'm just thinking you approached sobriety kind of at this stage after two years um, and your roommates were kind of having the same lifestyle. Did you feel comfortable talking to them about like, I'm starting to have these feelings like this. I don't feel healthy in this way. I want to make some changes. Were you comfortable talking with anyone during this time? That's a great question. No, I was not at all. I was really tried to hide my drinking. I tried to hide my struggle generally. I think that's really normal for people who are kind of struggling in some fashion in their life. Like you don't want people to judge your struggle or you don't want people, you don't want to burden people with your problems either. And so you kind of try to hide it and you sort of try to solve it behind closed doors. And it's hard when you feel, when you do that, because you feel really isolated with what you're going through. And I had really good friends, like really, really great friendships. And I'm still best friends with all my friends I had then, thankfully. But at the time, I really had a hard time opening up to people, even my closest friends. When did you recognize that you were unhappy with your relationship with alcohol? When did that sort of take off? So I, it was a really gradual progression. So I remember in like my mid twenties, I make these jokes. Like I just really love to drink. Like, so what if I drink every day? I just like really enjoy it. I felt really entitled to drinking. I didn't think it was a big deal. Everybody drinks in their twenties. It was kind of my attitude. Um, And I do remember at one point, I think it was like 26 or 27, maybe, And some, I had an ex-boyfriend and he came over and I was, it was like 6 PM. I was like halfway through about, like, I think I was through a bottle of wine at that point. And he was like, what happened to you growing up for you to drink like this? Like, this is not normal. It's Tuesday night. It's 6 PM. You're like already through a bottle of wine. And I think that was the first time someone had pointed my drinking out to me. And I was like, so ashamed, but also like really annoyed and angry, you know, And I think that was kind of when I started to hide my drinking and, you know, it's kind of snowballed from there. And it, 
it kind of happens the same way for a lot of alcoholics where you start by trying to take breaks. You're like doing dry January or you're taking a week off. And that's when you realize, whoa, it's really hard for me to not drink. Cause if you're struggling to get through a week or a month, then alcohol is starting to have a grip on your life. And so that's kind of how it started. I take time off and I realized like it was really hard for me. And I was like, uh Oh, like that's not a good sign, but I still wasn't ready to give it up. And so it was kind of this like ring around the rosy for years actually before I was able to actually before I actually decided I wanted to quit for good and then before I was actually able to quit for good. That's really interesting talking about the difference of how you used to wear it like a badge of honor like I'm just so fun I love to drink and then you kind of switch to being like you don't want to tell a lot of people it's I hadn't really realized that it could be a switch like that. Yeah it's interesting isn't it like I you want to still be able to drink and party with your friends, but you don't want your friends to know what's happening inside. You know, you want to look like you're still in control and still a fun person, but little do they realize that it's starting to take a negative and a very dark turn internally. Yeah. When it was time, um, when you like gave it up completely, um, what was that kind of like? Like, how did you approach? I'm going to give it up, but it's done. I'm not doing it anymore. It was hard. It was really hard. I read somewhere that like if you like drinking, if you're drinking pretty consistently, it's you it gets really hard to quit in your late 20s and even harder in your early 30s. And you know, I was in my late 20s and I remember that was so true for me and but yeah, it was just, it was really tough. Like I was trying to stop and then I was listening to podcasts. I was reading books. I'd get some time off and then I'd be like, oh, you know what? I have it under control. And then I drink again. And, you know, it finally got to a point where I decided to go to an AA meeting, which was really hard for me to do because <laughs> I was like, never my over my dead body. Will you catch me at an AA meeting? for years. And then finally I got to a point where I like could not stop. And I was really scared of my drinking and I was starting to drink and drive a lot, which was terrifying. And so, yeah, I went to an AA meeting finally. And that was kind of like when things finally started to change was when I started to get real help. And I think getting help and really reaching out for help was what was the game changer for me. So you were saying how it's kind of snowballs. So like, it's harder to quit the older you get, which now that you say that it does make sense because you're kind of solidifying your habits. Mm -hmm. Do you think that if you had questioned your relationship earlier with alcohol, it might've had a different effect? Yeah, for sure. So I actually talked about this last night on my Instagram because sometimes I wonder what my life would be like if I had quit in my early twenties. And I don't like think about that in like a, sad, regretful way and more like in a curious way, for sure my life would have been different because the thing with drinking is like you said, you habituate yourself to like seeking instant gratification, your comfort, your numbing, and that becomes a habit. And you're literally like entrenching these neural pathways in your brain. And so the more and longer you're doing that, the harder it is to let it go. And as you're doing that, you're also depriving yourself of you know, really important human growth and really important experiences like learning how to cope with things. Um, And so in my opinion, I feel like when my early thirties hit and I quit drinking, I felt like I was in my early twenties because like all that time I wasn't growing. I wasn't 
become like experiencing the life stuff that I should have to become a stronger, more resilient human. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that really did contribute to how difficult it was for me to stop in my late twenties. When I didn't live with my parents, let's say I didn't have a glass of wine at night, but when I have my own place, I can have a glass of wine whenever I want. So that is something that, and then, you know, you live with someone or you have friends that do it and then it starts to become more normal. And I feel like if you don't question your relationship, it can kind of get, it can kind of snowball, like you're saying. So I think we're really wanted to do this podcast also just to, you're a great example of someone that is very relatable with their relationship with alcohol. This could have been anyone you didn't have. I'm sure you could still go to work and and function and things. And I think a lot of time people have the stigma of what an alcoholic in quotes looks like. And it's like, you know, an older man or something, their grandfather, whatever it might be. And I don't think they realize that it could be their friend. So we just really wanted to do this to open up the conversation for anyone who might be questioning the relationship with alcohol or hasn't really given it the second thought that they might have. So I think I just wanted to really highlight the fact that questioning a relationship with alcohol doesn't necessarily have to mean that you, you know, you need to give it up, but it just might mean it's important to question it. And we talk about questioning anything to do with your health, you know, working out, eating healthy. So why shouldn't it be what you're putting in your body? I just wanted to go back really quick to when you were talking about like officially giving up drinking, going to the AA meeting. Did you have any specific fears like coming out of it? Like, what are people going to think? What am I going to say to people? Were you having those kind of thoughts at this time? Yeah, you know, I think my biggest fear or fears was not having fun and not being fun. And I think that's really common for people, a really common fear for people who are realizing that alcohol is getting in the way. I like what you said about like, you know, what you, someone who's like should question their drinking. A lot of times, like you don't need to be like living under a bridge to want to stop or even be cut back and be more aware about your drinking. You know, I always tell people, is alcohol getting in the way is all like really the only question you need to ask and just be as aware as you can around your drinking. Um, For me, when I started to get more aware about my drinking and noticing that like when I had one or two, for example, I'd crave more and I was like, oh, like that's probably not a good thing. And like little things like that. But the fear really did make it hard for me to quit because I was scared that, you know, I wasn't going to have fun. Like what if life just becomes black and white and like not, I was going to miss the euphoria that drinking brought and like being tipsy. And, you know, at that point I was really into like the whole process of like opening a bottle of wine and hearing the first lug, lug, lug in the glass. Like I would literally be so giddy with that first pouring that first glass of wine. And, you know, also what other people think, you know, you hear so much, like, don't care what other people think, but like easier said than done, especially if you're drinking every day, you're like pretty insecure. And you, again, like you haven't really developed that resilience, those coping mechanisms. It's hard to let go of what people think. And so I was like, people are not going to invite me to anything and I'm not going to be fun. But I started to pay attention to people who were sober like toward the end, I was questioning my drinking. And I started to like notice more people who were not drinking and living like really awesome, fun lives. And 
they were having fun. They just like, weren't having like going to a bar for it. They were out like hiking in the mountains or doing like really cool international travel. Like, and so that kind of inspired me to feel like maybe there was a really cool life beyond drinking all the time. And, um, and yeah, so with, you know, with the fears that I had, I had to really trust that I could create the fun and be fun in sobriety. And I really was able to do that, which was pretty exciting, but it's hard when you're not sure and you haven't tried. So that's what we were talking about too. In college, your friends, probably majority are not necessarily yours, but just a lot of times are based off of drinking and being the fun friend. And just, I feel like, it can make it so you're really scared of losing those friendships because what do you have to talk about now? Like you're not the one everyone's laughing at or you know what I mean? Like, Oh my God, she's so hilarious because she's drunk and you have to kind of figure out like, will those friendships withstand it? And I could see that making you like nervous to make such a big change. It's nerve wracking for sure. And when you, it's hard to feel excited about a future you can't really see. And so naturally you're going to default to, being anxious about it and scared of it. What are some questions that you kind of asked yourself when you were questioning your sobriety? What could someone who's really like taking just inventory of their life and questioning their relationship with alcohol? I like the one you said, is it getting in the way? And that's, Mm -hmm. I feel like a great one to start with. Yeah. You know, like I said, you don't need to be living under a bridge to feel or to know that alcohol is getting in the way, whether that's of your potential or of a life that you've dreamed of having. And, you know, another question I often ask people is like, you know, how do you feel after you have one or two drinks? Like I have friends who drink, like I have a lot of friends who drink and a bunch of them will drink a glass or two of wine and not even finish it. And I'm like, what? Like to me, it's crazy that anyone could do that. You know, after one or two drinks, I want more. And so that's like another thing to pay attention to because that only gets stronger over time. Um, and, and yeah, and then just pay attention to how you feel the next day. And if you're taking time away from alcohol too, how are you feeling without alcohol in your life? Like trying the 30 day sober thing is that so cool because it gives people a taste of like what they can accomplish or who they can be without alcohol it can be intimidating because people are like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this extra time. Cause it, it really does open up a lot of time. Uh, but also with that comes a lot of clarity and you know, you're like, Oh wow, I'm starting to realize these things about myself. And you start to really have a clear sense of like what you want to do or accomplish. And that's when things start to get really exciting. The, what we said podcast Liz, did you listen to the one where they had someone on there speaking about their sobriety? I don't think I heard that one. So she was talking about her sobriety and she was talking about how she thought of like how nervous she felt thinking about not having alcohol for a whole year. And like that, like gave her like kind of a pit in her stomach. But now that she's been sober for a year, she had the reverse effect where she like had a pit thinking about all the stuff she would have missed out on of, you know, if she had, if she had been drinking. And I just thought that was a really interesting perspective because I don't know. I could definitely picture all the benefits you got from being sober for a full year, but I could definitely see how it made you so nervous at the beginning. So I think that's kind of a cool thing to picture your life one year, what you could have if you, if you were sober. I love that. I I was on Reddit recently. There's like a thread that I follow. It's called r slash stop drinking. And this guy posted, he was trying to do 90 days without alcohol. 
and he'd reached 90 days. So he posted like what he had realized about his life in that 90 days. And it was so amazing. He was like irritable at first, which is really common. Your first few weeks sober, you'll be irritable and you're kind of like on edge. And then once that all faded away, he was like, suddenly people could say things to me that used to irritate me. And like it rolled over my shoulder and like I was getting so much done at work. And I'm just like, generally like in a good mood all the time and he realized like he's like i i don't think i'm gonna drink again like this is so nice and i thought that was so cool to see you know how much he was able to realize about himself and his life in those 90 days that is really nice i'm just thinking about i've had like a couple of really bad hangovers where i missed like not that i missed anything super important but just like missing the day and Mm -hmm. that just bothered me so bad and i'm like why like those are a couple hours that I'm not going to get back ever. Oh my God. I can relate to that so much. I used to be like thinking of all the things I wanted to do and wanted to accomplish. And I just felt like crap. And even if I was accomplishing stuff, I was feeling so crappy. It didn't even feel meaningful. You know what I mean? Like it almost like robbed the joy or like, I don't know, the fulfillment from accomplishing those things. Like, well, you have like the flashbacks in the middle of the day. And like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it like ruins your whole week. You're yeah, like, and it really everyone. I'm so sorry for how I acted. Yeah. You're like checking your text. You're like, who? Yes. What did I say? Like, oh my God. <laughs> I feel like in college, it was the culture. So like everyone was hungover on Sunday. You weren't missing much. And then the second we graduated college, we were like, I want to go for a bike ride. Like, I can't, I can't even, I can't do my dishes. Like, work's going to stink on Monday when I didn't prep my lunch. And I feel like hangovers were so much more manageable, too, in my 20s. I think because, like, our livers were better at processing booze or something. Because I swear, like, mid to late 20s came around. And it was like my body just stopped being able to not handle a hangover or to handle a hangover. Like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, mine, Mine's always been pretty, pretty real. Really? <laughs> I, I can't relate. <laughs> Uh, it's probably a good thing though I wanted to bring this up so if you were in kind of your friend's shoes with you going through this what is something good that a friend can say to support you or not say things like I know you posted TikToks of people saying like just have two just have two like and that is not supporting you at all so what is like a good way to approach this as a friend yeah um you know it's really common to hear things like just you weren't that bad or like you didn't really have a drinking problem. And I feel like that's a really common thing a friend would say to you. And they mean that with good intentions. Like they want you to not feel bad about the way you drank, you know, and what they don't realize is like, you probably were hiding the worst of it from them, which is the situation with me and my friends. Um, You know, I had I actually had a roommate who was living with me when I decided to get sober and now she's like one of my best friends. She's going to be a bridesmaid at my wedding. And she ended up being my closest confidant when I was getting sober. And I just loved the way she held space for me when I was struggling. And she never tried to give me solutions. You know, she never was like, everything's going to be okay. You know, that like toxic optimism or toxic positivity or all any of that. She just was like, oh, like, how are you? You know, she would just like, let me talk. And she just held space. And she just like loved me where I was and was like, hey, like, just let me know how I can support you. You know, she didn't have a drinking problem. 
but I love that she never let me, you know, never made me feel judged and she just supported me and, you know, really created a safe space for me to open up. And to this day, that is, I still think about that time in my life and how special like that was to me and how much that meant to me at that time. It's like the greatest gift I think you can give somebody is to just love them where they are and just support them. You know, and if you're not really understanding what someone's going through, which is common, you know, grief is like another common one where it's like, how do I show up for this person? And I, I like, I think with people who are struggling with their drinking, it can be like that too. And I think just holding space with like a lot of love and just saying, Hey, maybe I, I don't really just tell me like how I can support you. You know, like, do you want to go for a walk? And you know, so if you're having cravings, like that kind of thing where you're just being really supportive and, and like, I think that really is important when you're trying to support somebody. So like coming up with healthy activities to do together that maybe are hiking or something that doesn't necessarily like go to dinner and I don't know, or like tell you like, Oh, you could have one. That's right. Or like, do you want to go to this party? Like, Hey, I'll like have ginger beer with you. Like, you know, like that way you're like they, that part. Cause if they're young, maybe like they're in college still, you could be like, they don't want them to feel like they're missing out and you don't want to exclude them. So you'd be like, here, like I'll, I'll put like some ginger beer or like ginger ale, like let's do this. Or like, do you want to go see a movie? And you know, make it fun for the person who might be struggling and show that you love them just the same, whether they're sober or, you know, like it doesn't matter. You love yeah. them as a person. You didn't love I, them because they drank. I was watching something the other day and this girl is trying to get sober and she was saying that her fear is that her friends, she'll lose all her friends because they like the fun her that goes out. They like her party friends. So just, I like where you said, just telling them that you're going to love them no matter what. Like you don't care about them being the fun friend. Like you can have fun together in other ways. So these are good bonus tips to um, last week's friendship episode. I know. I was thinking about some of the stuff that you said and I'm like, that actually goes hand in hand with other things that we said, like meeting them where they are and Mm -hmm. doing things that they want to do and always inviting them, even if they don't want to go. Yeah. Do you have any tips for how to, still I like going to weddings and stuff like how were your first experiences going through the holidays weddings things that could are very big drinking events how was that for you so it is super awkward when it's your first you know round of weddings holidays sober and that's the thing I think it's really important to expect it to be awkward like you're basically like a baby deer in the world again like awkwardly wobbling (laughs) moving through the world that's natural I think that's you know you have to realize that that's totally normal that's totally natural and the confidence builds over time and the more you go to the more you like start to find have fun and eventually you don't even notice other people are drinking you're just doing your thing but yeah one of the first things I did sober (laughs) It's like, looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? But I went to a wine tasting event with my now fiance. It was like kind of like a gala thing, professional gala thing for like his marketing agency. And it was like, the booze was flowing like Niagara Falls. And it was like nice wine, which was kind of my kryptonite. But I wanted to prove to myself that I could still do stuff in the normal world without expecting other people to change around me but also to like show up and be confident and, and like not apologetic about the fact that I don't drink. 
And that was, I kind of looked at that as like the playing field to practice that. And, you know, I went and I had a glass of, uh, I had a wine glass with water and I just like swirled it around and I was like, Oh, I smelled the stems on this fine glass. Like I tried <laughs> to have a lot of fun with it and I ended up having a lot of fun. And, you know, you're kind of like, awkward at first and you kind of are have cravings at first but once I found my groove it was a really fun actually and after that like the events just got easier and eventually like I just really started to enjoy them without alcohol also everyone around you probably is so drunk they don't even notice they don't even <laughs> notice. No, or they'll like say things like I want to quit drinking too which is like really common like you're like ah you're fine don't worry about it you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, they're like, no, no, same. Like, this is, I, I'm right there with you. That's so funny. <laughs> I, we're, like, covering some pretty good ground. You guys ask really good questions. These have been, like, big questions. Also. I know. I feel, I didn't realize how nervous I was going to be until we started doing it. I'm like, I feel so bad I'm asking you such personal. No, I love I, it. I feel okay. the same. That's what helps people. So, and you guys already know that I'm such a ridiculously open book. So, I, it's it's good. I'm glad. I love what you guys are doing. Normally I'm asking people like, how's your job? And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Please don't be mad if I say it. <laughs> um, but I, separate from this, I just like, I feel like recently addiction in general has been, I, I've been really talking about cell phone addiction a lot lately. And that's something that I have 100% noticed. And like, I really think is going to become a problem in our generation. I this I don't I really think I have a cell phone addiction like fully like when she was talking about on that other podcast thinking about a year without like my phone I was like oh my god that makes my stomach hurt and then when she was like saying how she gained so much I was like wow imagine how much I would gain without my phone and right, just, you'd be completely in the moment yeah like it's it reminds me a lot of like alcohol addiction when just talking about like I don't know hiking and all these things I'm like oh yeah I, I'm missing those things also with my nose in my phone so. Yeah, I, I recently did the Artist Way program. Have you guys heard of that? I don't know. So it's like, I have heard of, I kept hearing about it from people. They're like, it changed my life. So I was like, I'm going to try it. And it's like a 12-week course. And you read the book and you journal every day. But you have a whole week where you go without any reading or media. So it's like no social media. You're not supposed to use your phone to text or anything, like only emergencies. No music, no podcasts. It's like just... A, the most quiet week of your life. And I was like, I, how in the world am I going to do that? I was so nervous and I cannot believe like how profound that week was, how much energy I got and like, cre especially creative energy and just, it was wild. And it made me start to really, it made me really think about my phone use. Cause I agree. Like I, I don't check my phone first thing in the morning, but I did for a long time. Like I feel like, like, and then I had to set boundaries there and um yeah it's I agree cell phone addiction is gonna be I and I mean there's no resources for it yet to really you know there's, there's no AA meeting for your cell phone and I just think it's something we haven't even realized yet like you think of the first generation to discover alcohol like that mm. must have been a nightmare and I think of like we're the first generation I don't know I think of like it definitely affects my work at times like I check it I would be way more productive without it but and then like the kid, like so many people growing up right now grew up with cell phones. Like I didn't grow up with a cell phone. So that is getting ingrained in them at a super young age. So yeah. And it, it sorry, I don't want to, I don't mean to go on about it, but I just, I've been, <laughs> yeah. this is kind of where this has kind of come from is I just want people to question their relationship right. with anything that has a hold of their lives. And I, but right. 
anyways, I just, uh, it's very relatable to some of those things. So, yeah, this is kind of a, this is a big question. I know they've all been big, but if you could pick one thing, uh, what is the best thing that has come out of your sobriety? I would say clarity. Um, clarity, well, they go hand in hand, confidence and clarity. I feel like they were like a package deal that came out of sobriety. Um, you know, I drank a lot to what for instant gratification, but also to numb and, you know, seek that instant comfort. And um, when I took that away, I was able to, you know, really connect with myself on a deeper level and have a lot more clarity about what I wanted in life and about who I was, you know, it was, I felt so disconnected from myself through my twenties. And I really think drinking contributed that to that in a profound way. And so, yeah, so when I quit drinking, it was like my life like exploded. It was like a growth spurt. I couldn't even keep up with everything that was happening. I got a new, I got my career. I got engaged. Like I moved. It was just so much. My friendships really, really like became so much more deeper. I was scared of losing my friends and ended up becoming closer to my friends. And eventually my friends started reaching out to me to hang out because I started doing all this cool stuff, hiking and whatnot. And it was just so cool. And I think that, you know, with, the confidence and clarity, you just become more grounded in your own life and you stop getting caught up in silly things and, and you start to focus more on things that really matter. And I think that that has been the most rewarding part of sobriety for me. I feel a little bit of chills there. <laughs> I, um, just you talking about like your friends reaching out to you because you're doing all these exciting things. And I feel like a lot of people, not even, um, you know, addiction related, just in life, they're busy paying attention to what their friends are doing right now. And they don't, they want to be like them and they, they don't want to, you know, your friends might not be ready to hike and go to coffee and meditate and do yoga and all these things that are very, you know, fun for you. They might not be ready for that, but in five years, that's probably what they'll want to do. And you'll already kind of have a head start on it. And I feel like that's the same thing. Like your friends might not be ready to slow down in quotes with the party scene, but you, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not really wording it correctly, but I've just noticed this in so many aspects of my life personally that I, you know, wanted to live like in downtown in the nightlife because everyone else was, but really I more likely wanted to like go outside and hike and stuff. And I think eventually your friends will get there. I agree. You know, one of the things that I think is really important to do when you're making a choice to really improve your life, whether that's sobriety or whatever is, well, it's not like kind of what people tend to want to do is they want to like sing about it from the rooftops, right? You kind of want to rub it in other people's faces, but I think it's important to own your journey and own your path and also like love, like you said, with friendships, like love your friends exactly where they are. And, you know, you live your life with confidence and, you know, you own it. And then that like attracts either your friends to be like, oh, like what? I like what you got going on. Like, I want to know more. I want to hang out with you. Or, you know, you attract cool new friends, whatever that looks like. But yeah, like you just own your path. And, you know, for me, my friends, you know, maybe they weren't ready to quit drinking, but I could tell that they wanted to expand, you know, as time went by. And I was kind of like a lighthouse for them, I guess, in a way. And so they'd reach out and be like, oh, can, you know, what did you do? I want to cut back. Or like, you know, they saw me 
doing like travel or going on all these new adventures. And they're like, you know, I want to know more about that. And so, you know, when you really own your journey with confidence, but without trying to push it in people's faces, you'll notice that you really start to attract a lot of that positive energy. I love it. That's um, exactly. I was going to say, I love that. Yes. Cause it's just, if you don't do it, like your friend might be wanting to, and you, you don't know if you don't do it yourself confidently. Um, and I love that you said it could attract new energy. So mm-hmm. that is perfect. Good message to just do what yes. you want to do and like stay true to yourself. Exactly. So if you could go back maybe to your early twenties or right out of college when you're living in Lake Tahoe, what would you tell yourself? Um, I would probably tell myself to never give up, like whatever it is that I'm seeking, you know, um, I was struggling and I didn't know what to do or how to fix things. And, but I'm really proud of that girl because even though she was struggling, she never gave up and she kept trying new things and she was choosing to grow and become more self-aware and, even with all the setbacks and the stumbling. And so I, you know, and she didn't give up. So I guess keep at it. (laughs) But yeah, that's usually my message for people is never give up, you know, stay true to yourself. That's a good one. Well, that was great. Normally Liz and I, we sign off. This is very ironic. We'll say that was a good one. Let's go get a drink. Uh, So how about that was a good one. Let's question our relationship with alcohol. (laughs) And then grab a virgin mojito. I love it. (laughs) That sounds good to me. Perfect. (laughs)